Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Inside the Cage. I am your host, Terrell Campbell. And I am your man, Jerome Spann. And this is your home for MMA, pro wrestling, and entertainment conversations. And, well, let's say, ladies and gentlemen, we always aim to entertain. We apologize for no show last week. I say we're running into some uh, scheduling issues, but don't worry. Let's say we will... Let's say try and keep a show going forward. And if there is one that we foresee in the future that won't be airing, well, guess what? Oh, We're going to try oh, and bring you some other content. We're going to restart. No. no. Stop all this extra apologizing. I've told you about this. Stop all this extra apologizing. Just tell them, hey, had some issues last week. Sorry we didn't get with you. We're back this week. Fuck all this extra apologizing, bro. I'm, I'm serious. I'm setting expectations fuck for all, our listeners. Fuck all that extra apologizing, nigga. Just fucking say, hey, sorry we missed you last week. We'll be we're back with you this week. This is what we're covering, nigga. You you do too much apologizing, nigga. We just they know they know you don't need to apologize that much to them. Though. Well, also I was saying that we would provide other content if we're not able to give them the full inside the cage you, you, show. You didn't, even, you didn't even say all that. Just say, man, we missed y'all. Just make sure you keep following the page. We're, you know, we're trying to keep this, the shit regular with you. Which you know what? Week. You, you sound like that. You sound <laughs> like that guy that says, "My bad, you feel bad." We good? That's, nigga, <laughs> exactly. That's that's it. So, nigga, so, so stop trying to apologize extra and just fucking say it. Anyway. Well, anyways, this is inside the cage, <laughs> and we're gonna get in top. We're gonna start off with talking about the big announcement that just happened in the past couple of days, and that is. The unretirement of Misha Cupcake Tate, which, by the way, I still don't like. Favorites. I, I, I admit, I am a, I'm, I'm a Misha Tate lover. I've, I've never denied that. I have never denied that. I say, I think she should have been. I think she is definitely one of those athletes in the female, in the women's division that. Let's say she could have been the same type of name as Rhonda if she, I think if she would have been just as dominant because. Let's be honest, Rhonda kind of got a lot of her her shine because she was aesthetically pleasing, and then she was also very, like, never left the first round for a good portion of the beginning of her career. If Misha would have had a similar run where she, you know, just dominated opponents, I think Misha could have been the next... I think Misha could have been at that level, and she would have done it before Rhonda. Rhonda. I mean, think about it. We also had Gina Carano years before either Misha or Rhonda even came to the forefront. That... Yeah, and then she met that buzzsaw, though. <laughs> yeah, that buzzsaw named Cyborg. Yeah, Gina Carano has one loss in her record, and that's Cyborg. And it's the loss that retired her ass. <laughs> yep. Yep. But I have to say, it's it's interesting to see Misha Tate's going to be stepping back into the UFC. Uh, they're they're expecting her to have a fight in July, and mind you, like I say, she's not somebody who's been retired and she's been just sitting on the wayside. No, she's still been training. Uh, she was living in Singapore uh, as a vice president for one championship, and it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens. They're talking about uh, Marianne Renault as her comeback opponent, which the funniest thing is Renault has said, oh. Well, my next fight's going to be my last fight, so 
how how weird would it be that someone coming out of retirement's first fight back would be their opponent's last fight? That's just a weird dynamic all in all. But it's it's something that I have to say that I'm excited to see Misha back in the octagon because if you really look at it, up until she fought Amanda Nunes, she was on like a four, five, six fight win streak that led to her winning the title and then fighting Amanda Nunes. Then lost the belt to Nunes and then she fought Raquel Pennington. And I think that Misha was still a little bit hesitant after the Nunes fight. Because if you watch that Pennington fight, and, I, and I've watched it a couple times, Nunes is, I'm sorry, uh, Misha has always been someone that kind of, you know, dictates the pace. And she looked like she was a little hesitant to pull the trigger on anything that was going on. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how Misha does in July, but I'm excited to see her back. And like I say, she's always been one of the best ambassadors for the sport of MMA and especially for the women. You just casually say, oh, I'm so excited to see her back. Like she wasn't always one of your all time favorites. Like you're just saying it all casual. Like, oh, you know, hey, it's good to see her back. She's been in bed. Just she is literally one of your all time favorite fighters. So, like, come on, Terrell. L- let's let's be honest here. You're trying to be coy right now. You're trying to batting down your excitement a little bit. But let's be honest, you're excited as hell for this, aren't you? I'm excited. I'm not excited as hell. I mean, come on. The woman had her nose broken by Amanda Nunes, got beat up by Raquel Pennington, like not like badly beat up, but, you know, decision loss. And then she's, and like I say, in the, in the time that she's been away from actively competing, you know, she's she's started a family. She's taken an office position. And I'm just excited to see where she is right now at this point in her career because I think, and no one will ever deny, a real fighter, they always still have that little bug in their, bug in their ear just like, uh, did I leave too early if you felt you left too early? I mean, for goodness sakes, Jerome, we saw Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. fight in November. I'm pretty sh- and they were a lot older than Misha Tate. Now, granted, some people say that, you know, the, the, the lifespan for a fighter, especially a male or female fighter, is definitely going to be different because of, you know, like say biology and things like that. Look at someone like Cyborg. Cyborg, I believe, is in her 40s now, and she's still fighting. There's a lot of fighters still in their 40s that are still actively, you know, going. But I want to see what Misha is going to look like coming back, if she's going to be the same Misha. Oh, I mean, yeah. Am I excited to see to see her walk into the octagon, uh, you know, with the with the uh, braids going in the back? Yes. Am I excited to see her at the weigh-in doing a little the little bicep kiss pose. Yes, I'm excited to see all that because I missed it, okay? I'll be the first one to admit it. 
Well, to your point, though, we've actually been seeing that um, trend in sports all around is that guys are able to uh, all the athletes, excuse me, not just guys are seeming seemingly able to play and compete at a higher level for much longer than what we normally expected. Right. When we were when we were coming up, basically, once you hit if you hit mid 30s, you were lucky to still be like in whatever professional competition there was besides maybe um baseball and golf right i mean beyond that if you were in your mid 30s you were pretty much on the downslope of your career um but now we're seeing even with the likes of tom brady playing you know still able to play at a a pretty high level over this last season uh you see lebron james after all the years he's been in the nba he's still able to play at such a high level you know we've got many examples hell drew Brees, who just retired played what basically 20 years in the league um Peyton Manning, look at how long he played for, even though at the end he had his injuries that he had to deal with. But it, it, just in general, hell, another one, uh, the late, great Kobe Bryant. You know, Kobe Bryant played for way longer than you than you would expect as average from when we were growing up watching sports, right? Now we're seeing that guys have, invet, um, athletes have invested much more into their bodies and a lot of them have really taken it serious to a point of saying okay the, my body is my corporation i have to reinvest some of my money into my corporation every year to make sure that i can still operate at the highest level an example of that is they say that lebron james spends something like a million dollars a year making sure that his body stays in the shape that he needs it to be to compete at the highest level tom brady everybody knows about his tv 12 and all that stuff but these are just things that athletes are taking way more serious now with their conditioning and how they take care of their body over time. And with the new methods that have been taken in, you know, they're, ha- they're having a lot more success being able to add longevity to their career that we never could have dreamed before this era of athletics, you know, be- before the last 15 years there was no way you really ever saw athletes competing at a super high level. I mean, you would have, of course you have the exceptions like a George Foreman who won the heavyweight title in his forties, but for every George Foreman, there is 20, 30 guys that have gotten their block knocked off trying to fight at that, at that extended age. So it's pretty damn impressive what's going on here. And, and I am excited to see Misha Tate coming back. It's, I think it's something that, will be good for her because it'll allow her to continue to build on her brand as long as she is able to have some level of success. She doesn't even have to win every fight that she comes back and fights in, but she's just got to be entertaining. And if she's entertaining, I feel like she will be able to grow her brand to a higher level and get more visibility as, like you said, as one of the great ambassadors for MMA. Exactly. I say so. We're gonna we're gonna have to wait for the actual official fight announcement. There hasn't been anything announced just yet, but we're keeping an eye out for it. In the meantime, as far as fights go, this weekend we got UFC 260 coming up, and we got the big heavyweight clash for the heavyweight title between Francis Ngannou and the reigning, defending. UFC heavyweight champion Stipe Miocic. I say that's that's going to be a big fight there, Jerome. Um, I mean, there's a couple other fights on the card. And let's say, and and mind you, we always do main card. We don't do the prelims unless there's a prelim fight that we actually think you need to really watch. Um, Let's say Jamie Malarkey versus Kama Worthy is going to be kicking off the main card. Julian Robertson versus Miranda Maverick 
in the women's flyweight division. Your boy, Sugar Shane, Sugar Shane O'Malley versus Thomas Almeida. And then, of course, we got Vicente Luque versus the guy who still has not answered my challenge. Look, I've been bro. calling him out for years. Ty Ron Woodley. Why, why he's saying that, ladies and gentlemen, he ain't never tagged this man in any of his crazy talking on this idea. Yes, I, I did. I ain't see you keep doing it week after week. I ain't see you do that. Do it week why after I, week to see if you get a response out of him. I challenge I, you, sir. Challenge. All right, fine then. I will tag him. I will tag him tomorrow before his fight. Black, come see me, Tyron. Come on. Come on, Ty Tyron. Come on now. You done messed up, Ty Tyron. <laughs> oh, but, goodness. And, and that would be your co-main event. But when we look at the actual main event, it's going to be interesting because Stipe has been, let's say, he holds the record for most heavyweight title fight victories. Not defenses, because remember, he just won the title back from DC. Then he fought DC in a rematch. So, but when we look at Stipe Miocic, if you look at his last fight against DC, I, I got to I gotta say, I looked at Stipe, I'm just like, Stipe got in really good shape for that fight. I mean, he was like, I'm used to seeing Stipe looking like an like an everyman, you know, not like really, you know, built and everything like that. But Stipe was was leaner and he was just he looked great. He looked great in that last fight against oh. DC. Oh yeah, you could tell he took that fight very seriously. No oh yeah. Oh yeah. And it's just it's scary what a man like CPA Miosic can do because we saw him win the heavyweight title, knocking out Fabricio Verdun going backwards. Now, Jerome, explain to people that don't understand how hard that is. Um, it's possibly one of the hardest things that you can do in, in MMA. I mean, for those that don't understand, you're talking about having an ability to finish someone that is one of the all-time greats in that division. And the way that it was done was utterly impressive. I mean, Stipe, I have to give him his credit because he's a guy that up until, let's just say, um, his, his honestly, his last fight with Daniel Cormier, I really wasn't that impressed with him, right? I had seen that he had a full skill set and that he was good at almost everything, but there was like nothing he was great at, right? But now it seems like he's found a way to impose his will upon people, right? That's what I saw in the last fight with Cormier when he came back and got the win, right? Was that he figured out that I have to start imposing my will on guys at this high level. I have this ability that I am, I got great size, I got great strength for my division, so I need to take advantage of that and stop letting guys be so comfortable and attack them more. And seeing that in Miocic has made him a much more dangerous fighter, but it also leaves me questions for this fight with Lugano because unless he takes the direct approach that he took last time, which was, hey, Lugano, I'm going to put you on your back, I'm going to make you do all this damn grappling for five rounds, right? Unless he does that, 
he's playing a very, very, very dangerous game with, with Nagano. We both know Nagano's possibly one of the scariest fighters we have ever seen in all of fighting because he is a lot like Mike Tyson, that he has that ability that when he hits you that one time, it'll turn your freaking lights out. So I have questions about if that new mentality is going to benefit him in this because he has been more, um, he has had more of a propensity to stand up with people, right, in these last few fights and really try and, 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 and challenge people with his uh, standing game. But that's a horrible mistake against Nagano. So I wonder, is he going to go directly back to the same strategy that he already used that was proven successful and that I still have real questions that if Nagano can even stop this, is he going to do that? Or is the newfound confidence that he has in his stand-up game, is that going to get him in trouble? I'll say you're, you're right you're right there because Francis is somebody that you really got to be careful with. I mean, just looking at the man's resume, he's knocked off three former heavyweight champions. And mind you, when he's knocked off people, knocked them out, since he's been in the UFC, only, uh, let's see about, hmm, oh, only two of them have made it out of the first round. Everybody else has been taken out by that power. I mean, the... We still get that little quiver every time we see the uppercut he landed on Overeem. That was one of the most violent uppercuts I have ever seen in my life. Legitimately, and, when he hit him, I was like, that man dead. <laughs> let's say, and we see Overeem in some bad positions before. We've seen Overeem get knocked out, thought the fight was still going on, things of that nature. But we never saw Overeem get knocked out to the point where it's just like like just the way his back arched when he got knocked out it was like oh he is clearly out you knew he was out before he hit the canvas it wasn't one of those oh he caught him with a punch and then the guy just kind of oh we know he's the guy's just kind of got to fall no it was clear cut he's out there's no there was no denying that Alistair Overeem was was out in that fight and Everybody else that he's fought has to 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 use a term from a guy in a different profession than Francis Ngano. Everybody else that's fought Ngano since the first Stipe ma- match, aside from Derek Lewis, who somehow they went five rounds. Don't understand that one because that's a fight that I thought surely somebody was going to go out. I say between Lewis and Ingano, that that short that was a surefire. Okay, somebody's getting knocked out in this. If I'm pretty sure that a lot of people, if they would have went with decision with the Vegas with the Vegas odd makers, they would have made a lot of money because no one would have thought that would have won five rounds. But but you're talking the next four fights after the Lewis fight that he lost by decision, he has knocked guys out in the first round, and now he's going back for the heavyweight title in crazy ways that make you be like, oh, my goodness, you better never stand and fight with that man. Right. And it, it, it's, it's just so crazy. So we're expecting this to be one of the, I won't say one of the greatest heavyweight fights of all time because, in all honesty, 
there are a lot of fights where we're just like, okay, this is probably going to be great. And then it was like cluster or it was very quickly done where we saw somebody just get knocked out in, you know, eight seconds. But we're going to see what's, what's going to happen when it comes to this fight uh, tomorrow night. Because, well, that's all we can do. Because I say, has Ngano added takedown well, defense to his game to well, let me ask get you, ready to fight? What do you think is going to happen? If I put the gun to your head scenario, you got to choose. What's going to happen? How is this fight going to play out? If he smart, Stipe takes it to tries taking it to the ground, ground and grinding it out. That's 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 how I see it. I see it playing out a lot like the first fight, unless Engano all of a sudden has been studying Derek Lewis and waiting for the shot and catches him with an uppercut right as he's trying to shoot in and <clears throat> Curtis Blades. But um, that that's how I actually see the fight playing out. So, do you feel like? Nagano has progressed his game well enough to potentially do what Chuck Liddell did for years, which is the thing that we've said from jump with Nagano that he needs to do, right? Which is because your hands are so dangerous, you should have to really make guys work to take you down. So the thing that you need to work on is your takedown defense and being able to quickly get back to your feet. Because that was another thing about Chuck Liddell that was that makes him one of the all-time greats, right? Is that even if you got him down, it was damn near impossible to keep him down. So do you think Nagano has put in the work that he needs to? Because that's been the one glaring hole in his game the entire time he has been in the, U- in the UFC, is that if you can get him down or you can start the grappling game with him, you got the advantage. That's the thing. We don't know. We don't know how much work he's really put in because – He's been putting people away in the first round. No one's really been testing him on the ground. So until we see somebody actually test him, that can actually stand stand up and actually try to make this man fight on fight on the ground, there's no telling. There's no telling. Because you're talking, I say, out of the people that he's faced since the first Stipe fight, I think the only real high-level wrestler was Kane Velasquez, and he took Kane out in under a minute. So, we you got to have that high-level wrestler to really test him. But I, I, I don't know. We'll see, I guess we'll see comes uh, tomorrow night, right? But I just. I, I really got questions because we haven't seen it. So, like, I have that big question. Now, if you're asking me, same game, gun in the head, how am I thinking this fight goes? I think Stipe is going to grind him out for five rounds. I think yep. he's not going to be taking a risk, and I think he's going to grind this man out for five rounds. And unfortunately for Nagano, the one th- and, and the main reason I'm saying this, people, is you have to understand, traditionally in MMA, if a guy doesn't have a ground game, they usually don't develop, right? It's usually you either got some semblance of one, right, that you can start working on it and getting better, or you pretty much just don't got one. You're a striker for your whole career, right? I don't know if he's done what he needs to do to make sure that he can stay on his feet and use his greatest weapon to his advantage. This DP is somebody that's going to test that, and I will say this. 
if he is able to stuff a couple of takedowns early of Stipe's, that fight's over for Stipe. He's going to get knocked out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because Ngano has that scary knockout power. Scary, scary knockout power. And the thing, but, and, and my main reason I'm thinking that is if you if he can stuff those takedowns early, he's going to cause Stipe to have to take more risk to try and get that takedown. And when he does that, that's leaving himself more open for that big strike to put his lights out. Yep, because he's going to have to you know, say use the stand-up game to set up the shot. But I say we'll see how we'll see how it all all pans out, and see if we we're saying and new or and still heavyweight champion. But Jerome, speaking of a heavyweight clash, it's time to switch over to entertainment. And guess what comes out next week in theaters and on HBO Max? Can you hear me? Can beating on my chest? Can you hear it? <laughs> Come through banging like I'm King Kong, baby. <laughs> That's a reference to our good friend Only One Law from from his uh, album. Uh, I say Die a Legend. I say go ahead, check that out. It's available. I say it's on Amazon Music. It's on Spotify. But yes, Kong versus Godzilla comes out next week on HBO Max. Right now, I'm I'm trying to make I'm trying to make a real moral decision right now, Jerome. I'm like. Do I want to work on that Wednesday and just wake up and just be able to go grab some food, sit down, and watch the movie? Or do I just work the entire day Wednesday and watch it that nighttime? I mean, if I do it early in the day, you know, then I can still watch NXT and AEW Dynamite. Or I do like I normally do and watch watch those things while I'm working. I mean, but regardless, Kong versus Godzilla, this is the this is the one that we've been that the entire MonsterVerse has been building up to because we had Godzilla, we had Skull Island, we had Godzilla King of Monsters, and now we're getting Kong versus Godzilla. It's going to be... I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how the story plays because from what I'm seeing, it's going to be, like, especially with the human component of this movie, you have humans that are Team Kong and you got humans that are Team Godzilla, and there's there's some rumblings that uh we're, we may see an appearance from one of the uh, other known Godzilla villains or heroes, depending on how you look at it. And that villain or hero is Mecha Godzilla. That's, but I mean I'm excited for this one. Like I say, I've already made a plan with my roommates. We're all going to sit down and watch the movie together. That's what we've all decided. Nobody's gonna watch it before anybody else, because you know these H these HBO Max releases. You never know; they could drop at three o'clock in the morning. They could drop at like eight o'clock in the morning. Hey, nobody's gonna be sitting down watching it before anybody else. I would say this much: I am very much looking forward to this movie, and I have been looking forward to it since um, King Kong came out. Right, because the first Godzilla movie was, you know. And eh, second one was and two, but as far as the movie that impressed me the most out of that series so far, that King Kong movie I love. I Terrell, you know me. You know I don't generally rewatch a lot of movies like that. Like, you know, if I even if I enjoy them, you know it normally has to be something that I really, really like, right? I think I've watched King Kong probably like six times since it came out. 
And that's not including when I went to see it in the theaters. I'm talking just six times in my home. Like there, it's one of those movies for me, Terrell, where if it's if I just happen to see it on TV, I will stop and watch it. It's that like I like the movie that much. Just so, just 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 admit it. You like the movie so much because one of the characters in there is a big Cubs fan, okay? Nah, nah, that, that doesn't do it for me. It's more so what it is, is You <laughs> love John C. Riley. I I do. I do. I won't lie there. Big fan. But my thing with it was just more that they finally found a way to make the the overarching story that's been in the King Kong and Godzilla universe, right, for forever. They found a way to give a human connection to it, too. And to be able to still tell that movie and have it be entertaining with all the action that you want to see in it and not have it looked at as a crap hole of a movie. I mean, think about the last King Kong movie that came up before that. Terrell. It was a crap shoot. You know, it was, it was one of the worst um, monster movies ever made, right? Oh, the one where they had Jack Black in it. <clears throat> yeah, that terrible piece of crap. Yes. Yeah, so. yeah, and, and and the problem with that movie was they were trying to redo King Kong, like they did, like when they initially did King Kong. Well, whereas Kong Skull Island was, hey, we're not trying to move him from here to America. No, we're trying to just have him be just establish who Kong is in relation to Skull Island. Mm-hmm. Say when they say say Kong is king on this island, that is an that is an actual statement that you see because no one let's say no one aside from you know the you know weird lizard skull skull crawlers <laughs> are trying to are, are are trying to really mess with the king. The one other thing that tried to Kong beat it down and ate it. So, you know, and then, you know, hey, but in, and in all honesty, if anybody was looking at that movie saying Kong's the bad guy, Kong's the bad guy, I'm like, they made a good point in the movie stating, hey, if somebody drops a bunch of bombs on your home, are you going to really be excited? Because mm-hmm. you're going to wake up a bunch of these things that you know you have to take down. <laughs> no, you're not going to be happy about it in the slightest. You're not going to be happy if somebody bo- dropped bombs on your home. Even if there was no underlying threat of some scary, weird lizard creatures coming up, that's just that's just the way it, that's just the way that it is. Mm-hmm. Kong Kong was defending his home. Boom, and Godzilla. Let's say Kong's home is Skull Island. Godzilla's home is anywhere he wants. The ocean, <laughs> isn't that like the ocean? The whole planet? well. <laughs> yeah, I said anywhere he wants. <laughs> you know, I just think he, I just think he actively said, so, "I ain't going to Skull Island. I ain't trying to have no beef with them." So but now, what you're saying is, is Papa was a Roman stone. Wherever he laid his hat was his home. Exactly. <laughs> but Kong versus Godzilla drops March 31st on HBO Max. So go ahead, make sure that you check it out. Let's say once again, me and Jerome will talk about movies, but oh, we will never, for, for, never you ever, to, ever put spoilers in there. For you, before you move on, I know you've watched the Snyder Cut. How did you feel? Much better movie, and I'm so much happier with 
the way that they did it. Granted, yes, where there's some scenes that could have gotten cut. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think there are some scenes that couldn't get cut, but I did like the way that they, you know, introduced the Flash and Cyborg and went a little bit more into backstory. Not too much backstory with the Flash, like, how, oh, they didn't say how he got his powers, but mm-hmm. but how they fleshed out the characters a little bit more. And we actually got to see Wonder Woman actually be an Amazon, a warrior, not you know, the squeaky clean version of it, but mm-hmm. the actual like warrior. Cause that's what the thing is. That's the thing that people always forget. Amazons are warriors. Yep. They're not, they're not trained to subdue. They're trained to destroy just like that's any true. other warrior from the olden days. They're not, they're not trained to, you know, take you down. They're trained to take you out. There's, there's no half measures when it comes to the Amazons. <laughs> is what he's saying to you, people. It's full measure. You're dead. There's no coming and, and, back from that. And I, I liked how they how they expanded on the Amazons too, because that was the one. That's what I'm just like, man. Wait, hold on. You got all this stuff going on, and there's only this many like trying to fight this thing. Hold on. And Steppenwolf looked increasingly better. So what? much better. You know what else, too? You can tell that it really is exactly what the actors were proclaiming, right? Which was that, dude, Josh Whedon came in and made, and he turned the movie that we had into an entirely different movie. And it was. I mean, the thing that that, that really blew my mind as, a, as I was watching it was within the first hour of the movie, I was like, this already feels like an entirely different movie. This does not feel like the same movie whatsoever. They have the same title. They used a lot of the same footage, but it is an entirely different movie. Um, mm-hmm. the, the Snyder cut, I have to give him his credit, right? He did the thing that I was hoping he would continue on after uh, Man of Steel, right? Which was that keep this universe grounded in some sense of reality try to make this feel as possible as you can, right? Because when we're talking about superhero movies, we're always talking about something that's out, absolutely outlandish, right? So you have to be able to ground it in some sense of um, reality. In the, same, in the same way that it was done in Iron Man, right? When they did the have him captured have him having a build for the bad guys, seeing the, the the end result of him building for the bad guys and having his moment of clarity to then turn around, giving them that human feel, right? They did that. Yeah. They made you actually give a damn about what was going on with these characters. The Whedon version, it felt like a convoluted mess. The version that you're presented with Snyder, it's like, oh, I completely understand now why there was this tone in the movies that were before this. Because this was the tone that you were setting for this because you knew that you were building up to something major happening with Darkseid. And and also, I love the fact that we got to see Darkseid. We got to see the sod. Say, so we got a brief glimpse of Granny Goodness, which is, has always been one of my favorite apocalyptic characters because mm-hmm. it, it I'll, I'll give all credit where credit's due. Ed Asner did an amazing job as Granny Goodness on the animated shows. Oh, amazing. But say, like, and Granny Goodness has always been a phenomenal character. Mm-hmm. 
I'm just like I say I was especially excited to see them actually kind of dig into okay apocalypse and dark side the side granny goodness and the most important thing is they brought up the anti-life equation yeah i mean that is something that to me if you know the dc storyline of like what they do with justice league and what dark side is looking for the fact that they brought up the anti-life equation says a lot to me just about the overall understanding that Snyder had for where they're supposed to be building to for this, right? Because outside of dark side, it's hard. I mean, I can name you some other high level, high powerful bads in, in the DC universe, right? But nobody has it like dark side, you know, there, there, there's people that are powerful. Like, I mean, Galactus, for God's sake, he's a, he's literally a, a planet that eats other planets, right? Yeah, so, but, but that's Marvel. Oh yeah, excuse me. Sorry about that. Yes, but but even there, there, there's always big bads out there, right? But at the end of the day, Dark Side is that dude. You know, like you can have your Lex Luthor's greatest plots, you can have your Joker's greatest big plots in the world, right? But nobody's schemes are as dangerous as Dark Side. Period. And so, seeing the fact that they were building him up in the way that was somewhat similar to the vein of Thanos, right? Except you got to see more of Darkseid in this movie, right? To where in the first Avengers movie, you know, you it wasn't like you had 20 minutes of screen time for Thanos. You know, he was on there for, what, in the first Avengers movie, he was on, on there for all of maybe, what, four or five minutes at max? Uh, not, even, not even that long. Because we didn't, let's say, we didn't even see Thanos until... Like say the end credits, like like we're, we're, see. I thought there was that moment. What, didn't he have that moment though before that where he was talking with Loki? No, that was the uh, that was oh, that, that was, was his servant. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's right. the servant. Yeah. Right. So th- yeah, okay. So so Thanos, like say, because we just knew that the the guy was you know making moves, and then we didn't know who he answered to. Then all of a sudden, sudden <laughs> oh to to challenge them is to court death, and then all of a sudden we just saw Thanos kind of sit up and turn and look, and we saw that face. It's just like, oh, it's Thanos. So, yeah. Um, but but to the point that I was making, they're building up, building up to dark side is what they need to do. Now, the one thing that I will say that is I didn't like that came out from this whole experience, from what I understand, DC is still trying to consider the weeded version their canon. I, as a fan of DC products, think that is a major major mistake you should not consider that as your because well, that here, movie is shit and no, first off no one likes it and we don't make drum, sense drum here's the problem they can't go back because they've already released a movie that if the Snyder version was canon it makes no sense and that movie's Aquaman because there's 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 wording in the Snyder cut that if you go back and watch the Aquaman movie, well, it doesn't make sense because there's a character in the movie that should not exist in the Aquaman movie that plays not a prominent role, but enough of a role to where you're just like, hmm, that person shouldn't be here, and we're missing out on a lot going on. So that's why that's why they have to still consider 
the Wheaton version canon because otherwise it would, it would, I, it would pull the thread away from a from especially the Aquaman movie. I think you can find ways to make it work. That's my thing. I think you can. I, I understand what, what you're saying. What, what, I'm not what, disputing what, what, that, but I think you can find wait. ways to make it work. Well, we'll, we'll talk off air because let's say any of our listeners, I don't want to spoil it for them. So, but we'll talk off air, and I'll, I'll explain the part that. No, I think I think I get it. But Jerome, I do know something that they say you definitely do understand, and that is shenanigans. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Spans Shenanigans. Ooh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the mind of a madman. I appreciate you guys being here with us each and every week. As you know, with Shenanigans, we've got some fun stories, some, some funny ones, some serious ones, and you know, one that I think is going to pique Terrell's interest at the end of the day that will connect to our to making our Skynet story of the week. That's right. It's back this week, ladies and gentlemen. We have a Skynet story of the week. But all hell the robot overlords. <laughs> you just can't help yourself. <sighs> so, ladies and gentlemen, starting off this week, uh, we just want to point out that the governor, Brian, the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, and the Georgia legislature, state legislature, has passed some very draconian laws that are essentially voter suppression laws. Um, there's The laws are so patently ridiculous that there are things like this in the bill where giving a water to a voter that is standing in line is now a crime. So if this isn't a clear example to you of just the Republican Party trying to reshape the rules of the game to give them an opportunity to win. I don't know what it is. To put it in context for you people, all that voter voter fraud nonsense they were screaming for months and some of them are still out here screaming. In 2020, there was only two cases of voter fraud found. And guess what people? They were both by Republicans. So take it how you want to, just know it's all nonsense, okay? Again, we're going to have to deal with these draconian laws, and I hope the state of Georgia is now recognizing this and can then um, flip their state legislature to um, something more reasonable for the people that actually will do something to help them out and not try to restrict them from voting. Uh, moving forward, though, the German national team had a, um, I believe it was a um, UEFA Cup qualifying game this week I, I don't remember for sure but essentially they came out with human rights spelled across their shirts before the game you know Troy, you know how um, you know with every soccer game the teams come out before the game the starters they, they all kind of line up and everybody takes you know their pictures and everything you know it's whole big pompous ceremony right well yeah they they took that time to have human rights spelled across their jerseys versus the, in their game versus no way they were protest protesting the fact that over 6,500 foreign workers have lost their lives in making Qatar World Cup ready. Okay, this that comes via Roger Bennett of ESPN. But for those who don't know, Qatar uh, for the past, uh, man, I want to say about six years have been trying to get themselves ready to host a World Cup. Okay. The thing is, is they, they have been abusing a lot of people's rights there are countless stories of people going there to work and having their visas taken away so they are essentially becoming um 
at best indentured servants, at worst slaves. Okay, because they can't even get out of the country because in Qatar, if you don't have your papers, you're not getting back out of the country. Okay, you're just kind of stuck. So I just want to point out to people that there are always unscrupulous things that go on with events like this and we have to do our best to stamp that shit out because no sporting event in the world is worth 6,500 people losing their lives to become ready for it. Nothing, nothing in this world. No sporting event do I care about that much for that to be acceptable in my book. So got to do better here, people. I hope we can keep some pressure on Qatar and, you know, have them move forward and make some real changes and stop abusing these people's rights. Uh, moving on to our next story, though, here, there is a University of Texas professor named Alberto Martinez. He published his findings on Wednesday that the Eyes of Texas, the song that is sung, um, that's like the Texas theme song, University of Texas theme song, essentially, it was inspired by Civil War General Robert E. Lee and was written for minstrel shows, contrary to the report that the university published about a month ago, claiming that the song was not overtly racist. Now, why am I bringing this up to you people? Because again, this is just another example of how people will fight to keep things around that are inherently racist. Plain out and simple, doesn't matter how much evidence you give them that shows them that, that the core of this is racism. They do not care, they will fight for it to their dying day. And all we can keep doing people is putting it in their face and hoping that we can make this damn change because there is no reason that any, any black student should ever have to sing the eyes of, in Texas, a racist song for minstrel shows. For those that don't know, those are the shows where they, where white people are in blackface. I know it sounds like something, I know minstrel shows, it sounds weird. It's like, what is it, period shows or something? You know, no, no. It's the blackface shows. That's him. So let's stop all this nonsense. But moving on, we got some happy news here this week from me and my fellow Bulls fans. Otto Porter was traded out of town. And not only was it a great day that Otto Porter and his horrible contract got shipped out of town, we were also able to bring in Big Vucevic. And for those that don't know, Vucevic was down in Orlando, and he truly is an all-star level player. Um, I mean, you could really call him a star level player. It's just... He's been in Orlando that has basically been a cesspool and hasn't been able to draft any other good players beyond him since they've drafted him. And it's weird because they've been so bad that you figure they would be able to get it right eventually, but no, they haven't gotten it right. They just got it wrong over and over. Um, but we've brought him in to play along now with Zach Levine. Um, unfortunately, we did have to send out Wendell Carter Jr. He was a guy that I did have high hopes for. But unfortunately, he hasn't ever really reached those heights that I was hoping for with him for him. So I wish him all the best of luck in Orlando. But looking forward to the Bulls' future, it looks like the Bulls are going to be able to be a, at least a playoff team for the um, near future here with Vucevic and Zach Levine. So Bulls fans rejoice because at least now we got a watchable basketball team because I'm going to tell you this much. With Otto Porter and Wendell Carter Jr. out on the floor, I would be losing my mind because the defense and the offense was so bad. 
Um, there are other issues that the Bulls need to address, like the point guard position, but this was a very pressing issue for them too. We needed to get something out of our big man position because we weren't really getting much between uh, Wendell Carter Jr., Otto Porter, and Markkinen, but now we have a certified baller out there. But moving forward, I've got to clown the Chicago Bears, Terrell. And did you happen to see the post that they put out on social media this week, Terrell? No, I did not. So somebody in the social media department thought it would be a good idea to put a post out celebrating Andy Dalton as our quarterback one. Let me tell you something. I get they're trying to build up Andy Dalton's confidence, make him feel welcome, make him feel loved. But if you thought putting that out was a good idea, you should be fired, okay? Because you clearly do not understand this fan base at all. Because this fan base, let me tell you something, lost their minds, Terrell, lost their minds. It is just another example, again, of the clown show that is going on up at Hallis Hall. So disgusting. But uh, moving forward here, Kurt Goldsberry put out a report this week showing the most common shots for um, from this season in the NBA. Um, essentially, it was done off of um, this. That position on the floor needs to have at least 100 attempts um, for, of, of shots taken from there, obviously. Which shows the majority of the shots are either directly at the rim or they're three-pointers. Now, why am I even bringing this up? Look, a lot of people have fallen in love with analytics and sports. And you know me throughout. I feel like analytics has its place in sports for sure, right? But this, this confirms to me something that the eyes have been telling me for a while, which is that a lot of teams have lost the plot and don't seem to understand that that's not the only way that you can win. There are many ways you can win and have high levels of success in the NBA. Yes, you need to be able to shoot the three-pointer, but teams have become overly obsessed with it at this point, and it has become to a detriment to even the viewing um, quality of the game because there's not much variance in what you're seeing from one team to another. They're pretty much all the teams are almost playing the same, and that's not fun to watch. Um, Sorry to all you uh, numbers nerds out there that find a three-pointer more exciting than a dunk. That'll never be me. So hopefully teams can start moving away from this and start realizing that there's a whole area in between the rim and the three-point line called the mid-range game and start valuing that again and understand that, hey, you can still win valuing the mid-range game. Because really all that matters with all of this stuff is efficiency. You have to be efficient. Um, but moving on here. So, Terrell, did you hear uh, Jay Leno's apology that he put out this week? No. So, in the uh, in the wake of all of the um, attacks on Asians that had happened and the um, terrorist actions that were taken by the young man in uh, what, what state was that? Goodness gracious, you, you know what I'm talking about. The shooting where he went around to multiple places just trying to kill Asian people. I can't remember the exact state. I'm sorry, people getting older sorry but that terrorist he is product of a lot of people not just the jay lenos but he's a product of a society being okay with talking down to groups that were non 
white. Now, why am I bringing up Jalen on this? Jalen put on an apology this week, and essentially he was saying he didn't understand the – well, no, no, I'm sorry. He, he said he didn't understand the full effect that his words were having, but he knew what he was saying is wrong. And this is why I'm bringing up Jay. Because if you knew that what you were saying was wrong, you're just as much of an asshole as the guy who was a blatant racist. You're the same to me, Jay Leno. And I'm going to tell you why. Because if you actively are doing something that you know is a detriment to other people and you know it is wrong and you still choose to do it for years, that says to me, you don't really give a shit. You just don't want the blowback that could potentially come when all of a sudden people look up and realize, well, wait a minute, Jay Leno was out here telling all types of messed up Asian jokes for years. And I'm also bringing this up because I remember when NBC gave Gabrielle Union a whole lot of flack, a whole lot of flack tried to paint her out to be a crazy person for her standing up to someone like Jay Leno who came on that show as a guest judge and made a horribly despairing, disparaging comment towards an Asian contestant that she was not standing for, and she lost her job because of that. So NBC, Jay Leno, and another person in this situation like Megan McCain, who came out with her comments this week, you all are the clowns of the week. Okay, don't worry, so we also have, I know we've already announced who the clown of the week is, but we also have another nominee, and I know you're gonna like this one. But moving forward here, this is kind of a serious, Discussion, sorry, I'm going to bring, bring tone down a little bit. This Deshaun Watson stuff. Now, look, people, I'm trying to wait and see how this plays out entirely, right? But I'm going to say right now, plain out and simple, it does not look good for Deshaun Watson. One, two allegations is one thing. At this point, that it's up to 20 women that are making these allegations. To me, sir, that sounds like a predator. That sounds like a sexual predator. I don't want to call him that, but I'm going to tell you this much. If we were just weighing it off of what information is put out in the public right now, it's looking like he's a sexual predator. And if that's the case, I hope just like any other sexual predator that his ass ends up in prison. I have no, you get everybody on this show, any fan, any fan of the show knows how much I love Deshaun Watson, the football player. Okay. But if this stuff is found to be true, throw him under the jail. And I don't like to say that, right? You you know how I am, Terrell. You know damn well that's not something I would say, especially about another black man. Absolutely not. But my morals are consistent. If you are that type of person, you should be thrown under the jail, just like I said, a mother trucker like Brock Turner should be thrown under the jail too. Gotta keep it consistent. And I just wanna touch on that, people. So we're gonna see how that plays out. But plain out and simple, in the eyes of me, you guys know I try and shoot it straight with you. It's not looking good for him. Not looking good. But moving forward, now, Terrell, this was our other nominee for Clown of the Week. But I realized as I was sitting here and I was looking at the list as we were doing the show, right, I, I started realizing, well, you know, the, 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 the Jay Leno stuff and the Megan McCain's comments, they really had me super fired up. But our other nominee for Cloud of the Week that came in a close, close runner-up here is Kylie Jenner, Terrell. Did you hear about what Kylie Jenner did this week? No, I did not. All right. So, Terrell, Kylie Jenner this week, the self-reported billionaire, put out 
a GoFundMe that her, uh, I believe it's like one of her stylists or her photographer, I, I think it was a photographer if I'm correct, needed help with rent money, Terrell. And she put it out to her fans and said, donate to my photographer. Excuse me, Miss Billionaire, if that's your photographer, why ain't she got enough money for rent? Can you tell me that, T? Does that make any sense to you? T, if I was, if you were a billionaire and I was your photographer, do you think I would ever need for rent money? No. Nah. <laughs> so, I'm just saying, people, again, this shows you, these, these Kardashians don't give a shit about any of you, bro. None of you. Zero percent. She literally has the power to change that person's life and to put them in a position to make their lives way better. And instead of what she did is she said, my fans can pay for this. I'm not paying for it. You're a disgusting human being, Kylie Jenner. Disgusting. I have no respect for you as a human being, plain out and simple. Between your Pepsi commercial and now this, you're lucky Jay Leno and Megan McCain said what they said, or your ass would be the clown of the week this week. Plain out and simple. But moving forward, because I don't like to get caught up on those on that family, because they, ooh, you know, they get up under my skin right here. They burn me. Uh, moving forward here, though, the internet lost its mind this week when PJ Washington um, and Brittany Renner announced that she was pregnant. Do you know who Brittany Renner is, Terrell? No. So she is a Instagram famous girl that um, she has been rumored to get around with quite a lot of the NBA players and rappers. Okay. Um, she has confirmed some of this herself. So this isn't just reckless speculation on my part or anybody else's. She's confirmed some of this. But essentially, the, internet, the only reason I'm bringing this up is because the internet lost their mind this week, right? Everybody was trying to clown this PJ Washington dude and da da da. It's like, hey, look, he he he's marrying a chick that I probably wouldn't be trying to marry, right? But I just want to bring something up, dog. I seen some of y'all baby mamas and wives. Y'all ain't got no room to be talking. <laughs> Listen, I understand she has her flaws, but some of y'all baby mamas and wives who ain't nearly as fun, got them same flaws. So y'all might want to pump the brakes a little bit, internet. Calm down. Calm down. Because some of y'all ain't got no legs to be standing on. That's all I'm saying. So PJ Washington, I wouldn't do what she was doing, but my man, if you found love and you found and you feel like she's the woman for you and you want to get her pregnant, more power to you, brother. Do what makes you happy. I'm not a hater out here to tell you not to do what you do what makes you happy. I I don't have the right to try and tell you what your standard of life should be. Only you can determine that. So, brother, do your thing. Happy for you. I hope things work out for you. I hope you get to have a great life with your with your kid and with with this woman that you didn't got pregnant and Brittany right now. Okay. So I'm not a hater. It's PJ Washington. Congratulations to you, dog, on um, potentially becoming a father in the future year. Now, Terrell, the next story we've got in line here um, is, did you see how everything went crazy during spring break here, Terrell? How people were no. So a lot of people um, traveled to Florida and a lot of states that had opened up their um, their businesses entirely for good, Terrell. And in Miami, 
they had to declare a state of emergency and people were getting taken off the streets. Um, it was bad. Every, a lot of these people out here maskless. I just want to say again, as I've as I've made this per- prediction, every time bef- every time after we see a whole bunch of people getting around with no mask, the numbers are going to go back up here. People, be prepared for it. It's going to go up all around the country because a bunch of a holes were down in Miami and Texas and all this stuff, partying without masks, getting in close, no social distancing, no <coughs> no restrictions on how many people could be around. So be prepared, people, and just please be safe. So to all you a-holes that decided that your spring break partying is more important than putting a stop to this pandemic that is happening in our country, I just want to say you can yourself, okay? If you, As you see, T, I'm trying to like censor myself a little bit this week so I can so we can keep our rating down. I know I've been losing my mind sometimes. So I'm trying, trying people. And I know some of y'all got kids to be out here listening to this too. So I'm trying people, but they can go themselves, okay? All of them. And if you get sick from going and partying, I feel no pity for it. None. Because you asked for it. Um, but we've got two more stories to roll on the, uh, this this. Next one is a doozy. So, Terrell, did you hear about the Cubs prospect, Jesus Camargo? Did you hear about him? Nope. You know, I don't pay attention to the Cubs. So, Jesus Camargo was caught with 21 pounds of meth in his team bag. Now, he is a prospect that was in the minor leagues, Terrell, because this man was transporting 21 pounds of meth. Yes, meth tea, meth. I don't even know what to say to that. Besides, what I got th- are you thinking? I, I, I got I got three words to say to that. That's your team. Hey, don't have me start digging into the history of White Sox players, dog. Don't uh, have no, 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 no. Don't, hey, don't have hey, me do currency. it now. Don't have yes. don't have me do it. Nah, don't, don't do it to hey, yourself. Don't set yourself up for that failure now. Hey, hey. Roman Reigns has the island of rev- uh, relevancy. This is the sea of con- of currency, okay? This is current oh, shit. But all I want to say is, hey, buddy, you're going to prison for a while, so it sucks to be you. Like that, but I just thought that was crazy because he was obviously he was working for a criminal organization and moving this around the country trying to make himself more money as he was traveling around and playing. But yeah, that terrible idea, terrible, terrible idea. Um, but the last story here is our Skynet story of the week, Terrell. Now, there was a report that was put out this week through some unclassified documents that at one point, Terrell, the CIA was trying to communicate with ancient Martians. Now, why is this the Skynet story of the week, ladies and gentlemen? Because if they're trying to communicate with ancient Martian, ancient Martians, just imagine what they're doing with AI. Imagine the free reign that the CIA is giving their AI in our system currently. Just imagine it. So you know what that means, people? It's proven again that the CIA is always out here experimenting on some weird stuff. So we are one step closer to Skynet and Terrell turning us all in like the scumbag that he is because he was bowing down to the robot overlords instead of fighting like he should. 
All hell robot overlords. <laughs> but as I tell you each and every week, ladies and gentlemen, please stop paying attention to the Kardashians. They do not give a damn about you, as was shown again in a story this week. They don't care about you. They just want to take all your money. They want to use your money and not ever do anything with theirs except stack it up. But ladies and gentlemen, as I tell you each and every week, please stop paying attention to the Kardashians and pay attention to science. Science is something that can help change your life for the better and help change people's lives around you for the better. That's all I got for you this week. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Spanish shenanigans for the week. And now we're going to have to transition over into the world of pro wrestling. And the first thing that we are going to be discussing well let's say say it seems like Jerome has something going on over there uh, but the first thing we're going to be discussing is the 2021 class of Hall of Fame inductees He's, now I'll say a lot of these announcements have been coming on the WWE show The Bump which is which was on the network I don't know how people are watching it now with the whole Peacock thing it's weird um, but the very first announced person for the Hall of Fame class of 2021 was Molly Holly, which they say well-deserved. Me and uh, our good buddy Debo both said that that's one of the few people that were just like, okay, this person definitely needs to uh, go in, go into the Hall of Fame. Um, Also, another person that was announced was the man who created the NWO, Easy E himself, Eric Bischoff, is going into the hall. Mm-hmm. Kane was announced this week, and he was informed by none other than the Undertaker that he would be going into the Hall of Fame. And also, Jerome's gonna love this one. The Great Kali is announced as the Hall of Fame inductee. See, initially, I ain't gonna lie to you, T. When I first saw that the great Kali was going in, I was ready to text you and lose my mind. But then I stopped and I thought about it for a second. And I said, well, okay, wait a minute. If Pete Rose is in the Hall of Fame, why can't the great Kali be in there? I mean, what, what like at this point, what really is the standard besides you being entertaining on WWE programs? Can you tell me what the standard is? Because the only thing I see is be entertaining. That's it. In all honesty, I couldn't even tell you because (laughs) there's there's no set parameters anymore. There's there's none. Like there are guys who should be in the Hall of Fame that aren't, and guys that should never even their name should even should never even be mentioned for consideration in the Hall of Fame. One of them, mainly being, what do you say? I, you know, I'm always going to say the same thing and you about two people and one of your, your, one of your favorite wrestlers of all time agreed with me about one person and the two people I always mention, Coco beware. He should be in the hall of fame and Bill Goldberg. And I'm, and I'm going to tell you this much. I'm sick of you trying to call him one of my favorites. Dog. He is not one of my favorites. I'm, uh, sick, no, of you, I'm, I'm a- sick of you trying to give him to me. Okay. Actually, actually, what man. I'm saying is, actually, what I'm saying is, one of your favorite wrestlers of all time, 
Bret Hart even said in a panel interview that he doesn't know how Bill Goldberg got into the Hall of Fame when all he did was hurt other wrestlers. Well, I mean, at that, Bret and, Hart and has a point, but you you can't like man. As much as we both have our knocks on Goldberg, right? As much as we look at him, we both look at him in the sense of like, oh my god, like this guy has not been great. I don't. I don't want to knock him for getting into the Hall of Fame. Like, I don't want to do that. Just because he did have his points where he was entertaining. He did, but he was never... It's not like he was ever the best professional wrestler in the building, though. Like, he, he was never that, but he was entertaining. It's just what? that he his was... His entertainment the, the was, was Spear Jackhammer. Spear Jackhammer. That's all his entertainment was. But I didn't, but I didn't hear people crying about Brock Lesnar and really... If we're being honest, in his first run, it was pretty much just beat your ass and then give you the F5. I mean, I'm not gonna deny that. Like I say, he beat a lot but of people's people, ass. But wait, but wait, but people were but people weren't crying about that. All I ever heard in that first run of Brock Lesnar was how much people loved him while I was the guy standing on the outside being like, What the hell are you guys watching? So that's why I say I can't knock Goldberg too much. I get it. He had his limitations for sure as a wrestler, 100%. But you cannot dispute his cultural impact. He transcended wrestling into going across all of culture. He had people in all different in all different um, industries use saying, who's next? You can't dispute that. Yeah, and Stone Cold had a lot more people, they say, Say Austin three sixteen. The Rock had more people saying, "Do you smell the Rock did, is cooking?" Wait, 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 Go, Goldberg wait, wait, wait. came along did, at the right time. Did Austin really have people saying stuff, or did just, or did he just have a lot of support? What? 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 <laughs> We're gonna give him credit for what? Come on, dude. Yes. We saw we saw other wrestlers use that same device before Steve Austin did it. It's just that didn't become their long term catchphrase. So, are we really giving him credit for what? Yes, because he that's made nonsense. it. Pop. That's nonsense. That is nonsense. Throughout. Anyways, know. anyways, but when we're looking at the Hall of Fame, there's one other name that's been thrown out there that I really think deserves it. It's Mr. Monday Night himself, Rob Van Dam. Now, it hasn't been announced or anything, but if there's somebody, like I say, if you're looking at that Hall of Fame class, Bischoff deserves to go in, Kane deserves to go in, Molly Holly deserves to go in. Great Kali. The jury's still out on that one. Here, here's my uh, thing, though, with, with Kali. He may not mean as much to us, but to those couple of billion people in India, he means a lot. So that's why that's another reason why I can't knock it, right? Because just because he doesn't mean so much to us doesn't mean he doesn't he doesn't hold value around the world. You know what I'm saying? Like another example of this is like Steven Regal, great wrestler, never, never was like the top level wrestler in the United States, right? But if you take if you take over, if you take account his impact around the world and how he is viewed around the world, it's much different. There's a super high level of respect for him for guys like him and Fit Finley. You know, they're they're what they are in the United States is not what their totality of their wrestling 
value is you know like they have a greater value mm-hmm. outside of the united states to where some of these guys in the united states who have this extreme value may have no value overseas let's say kelly like say is the first ever person of indian descent and yes we do mean india the country mm-hmm. uh to actually be a world champion in wwe so yes like say he does like say his impact was felt over there i can give him credit it's just oh no they like say in ring body of work never the greatest. Um, Not at all. <laughs> Not and his in ring body of work know, is a joke. And, let's be honest. Let's say the most entertaining he ever was was when he had Rajan Singh and he was the Punjabi yep. Playboy. Yep. That was that's yep. when he was the most entertaining. And that was <laughs> and, and mind you, that was like ninety eight percent Rajan Singh. That had mm-hmm. nothing to do with Kali because right. Ranjit Singh was, I don't know what it was. I wish they that WWE would have found better things to do with him because that guy could actually do something. And I'm pretty sure Ranjit Singh is going to show up for Kali's induction because Lord knows we will not understand anything the great Kali tries to say if he speaks English. Well, I think, unfortunately, for, for, for Singh is that he was in during a time to where WWE was not valuing their valets as much as they should because at the end of the day right Singh is essentially a valet for him right so they weren't you remember during that era that was something that we were really harping on a lot was like they were putting microphones in people's hands that had no business and would be much better served if you just gave them a valet to do the majority of the talking for them right that was the smartest thing that I think WWE could have ever done with Kali which was give him someone who can that's going to still connect to his core fan base that they're trying to touch in India, right? Absolutely. He's going to connect with them, but somebody that can also get the connection with the American fans and the, and the, and the um, what would that be considered? Eastern European fans, right? Or would that be Western? Western European fans, excuse me, right? Trying to connect with them. We need, they needed some way to draw in the connection point there and with Singh, they were able to do that. And I think that was brilliant because with I, personally, without that, time of the great Kali, I would have thought in my mind personally, the entire experience was a wash. There would have been nothing that I could say I look back on positively. But when you talk about that time of the of great Kali, I thought that was one of the more entertaining things that they did during that era. And the great Kali was, he was damn entertaining in that role. I agree. I agree. But they say you were talking about uh, let's say people let's say getting their just due what about the AEW women's division I mean mm-hmm. I say I've, I've been one of the most highly critical people when it comes to their women's division and I have to say after the match with Britt, Britt, with Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa after the title eliminator tournament they have like say really got they've really gotten their footing with their women's division because now you have Britt Baker who star making performance in that lights out unsanctioned match against Thunder Rosa. Let's say Thunder Rosa has been one of the best uh, female wrestlers in the world for a while. Now, everybody knows it. Like I say, she was the NWA women's champion. And I mean, like I say, she was one of the main reasons that I watched NWA power, which is now mm-hmm. back on you which is now back on Fight TV. I'm sorry, not YouTube, Fight TV. Uh, it may be on YouTube. I don't know. I haven't dig too deep, although they do have Velvet Sky. I, th- I think it still is. Say, 
I, Same. I they saw do, like an ad for and, it like last week and, or something. So I think it is. And, and they do have and they do have uh, Velvet Sky doing commentary, which is great to see her back in the in the wrestling fold. Mm-hmm. Especially since you know the NWA lost Stu Bennett, aka Wade Barrett, to the WWE because of uh, everything going on with the global pandemic. But it's like I say this AEW women's division; they're starting to make some strides. Granted, one of my personal favorites is out with an injury right now. Uh, we wish her a speedy recovery. We. Uh, apparently, her uh, shoulder surgery went well, so hope to see you back in the ring very soon, Anna Jay. Uh, but one of her best friends in and outside of the ring, uh, Tay Conti, who was a former NXT person, is now the number one ranked uh, challenger for Hik- Hikaru Shida's AEW Women's title. Now, granted, the one thing in the women's division that is still god-awful is that title, but at least with Sheeta, it actually looks decent. I can't deny like, that way with you, Roy. Like, I mean, ever since I looked at it, I'm like, yuck. Because <laughs> if, if you look at Sheeta with the belt, okay, it works for Sheeta. It was mm-hmm. too small for Nyla Rose, and it was too big for Riho. Sheeta is the perfect person to hold that belt because it looks like a title with her, not like somebody just threw... Not, not like somebody found one of those little fake titles in one of the bargain bins at a dollar store. But like, hey, look, here you go. Say that's 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 what I'm saying here. But yeah, like I say, you you got a lot of great talent in that women's division. Penelope Ford's coming into her own. Uh, like I say, Britt Baker has been killing it lately. Uh, Nyla Rose has been, like I say, one of their standouts. I, I mean, they have more women on their roster, and now we're actually going to get to see the Bunny, a.k.a. Allie, actually get back into the ring. And she's always been one of the best women's wrestlers out there, but mm-hmm. she's kind of not been doing that because they've been focusing with her, with Butcher and Blade, trying to get them to the next level. Well, Allie deserves her shine, and mm-hmm. say the most recent episode of Dynamite, we're going to get get to see her wrestle. Uh, in a tag match where she teams with Nyla Rose against Hikaru Shida and Tai Conti. So, mm-hmm. I mean, like I say, we knew that there were going to be growing pains with AEW because they had to find their way. They had to find their way with, especially a women's division, mm-hmm. you know, uh, establishing, you know, they say the newer talents, establishing to the world, okay, these are who these guys are. Because, yes, you start off with a Jericho as a world champion. Okay, people know Jericho from WWE. You start off with a Cody as a TNT champion. Yes, well, people know Cody, and they were, and they know his father, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, from, you know, let's say, all those things. And then you go to, you know, your tag champs. Well, your first tag champs, SCU. Well, you have to be a, more of a hardcore wrestling fan to remember that they were in Ring of Honor. Then... You know, like I say, so you, like, if you really look at it, the the first tag champs SCU were Ring of Honor pro- products, and if you look at Kazarian, Kazarian and Daniels, they were Impact guys. But we'll look, look at Scorpio Sky because he wasn't really there, because uh, Daniels really didn't defend the titles. But then you have Hangman and Hangman and Kenny, who. One was a huge star in Japan. The other one was a Ring of Honor guy and had some success in Japan. You know, they say they were part of the elite. You got those two guys. You have FTR as the tag title holders who were former WWE guys, and now you have the Young Bucks. You say now you have Kenny Omega as a champion. 
But now, like I say, you look at the other sides of the card, and it's like, okay, well, Darby Allen's the TNT champion, and he's one of their truly homegrown talents that didn't get major exposure in Japan, that wasn't, you know, known around the United States as a great worker because he wasn't on a lot of the high-profile shows. He was doing a lot of independent stuff, and people kind of heard his name. But the thing is, a lot of people, and I'll, I'll say myself included, were associating him more so with his former paramour, Priscilla Kelly, who's now in WWE as Gigi Dolan. But, and I'm, I'm, and I'm still surprised that AEW never snatched up Priscilla Kelly because that would have been a, a great get for her. Great look, great gimmick, everything. But now the AEW's women's division is finally getting to the point where they need to be. And granted, there, there's still some talent out there that they can, they, they can get, but and, and there's only one talent that I'm really looking to see where she's going to land because no one knows where she's going to go. And that one talent is Tessa Blanchard. You know, like I say, there's been some complaints about Tessa. Uh, so I've heard some things that she's done, you know, outside of WWE, outside of AEW. And let's say, because think about it, she was the Impact Heavyweight Champion and she just kind of, took off when the pandemic hit when they were when they were promoting her defending the title but she's one of the few that's out there that I'm like okay if she goes to AEW who's she really going to work with that I'm excited about so well I, I can't say there's anybody in AEW I'm excited to see her work with but there is one name in WWE I'm excited to see her work with but I don't know if we'll ever see that match so I have a couple of questions for you. So staying in line here with um, with the women of AEW, right? How'd you feel about Britt Breaker? Is uh, I believe that was her that took the shot at Mick Foley this week, correct? That was Britt. yes. So yes. how did you feel about her over not not just the shot on Mick Foley? How did you feel about her overall mic work in that moment? Because for me, I was at the beginning. I was like, ah, oh, but it seemed like she started going up as she was going and finished it really strong. That's the thing. Like, Britt did what a heel's supposed to do, and that's, okay, well, you guys love me this week. Well, guess what? Screw you. This wasn't for you. This is me. And her taking a shot at Mick Foley is one of those, okay, it wasn't a necessary thing she needed to do, but it's a, well, what what's going on here? Because, you know, part of me is just like, well, Somebody's got to defend Mick. Mick's not going to hit a woman, but we all know his daughter is not in uh, daughter is not a wrestler. Mm-hmm. You know her, her. Say as much as I love Noel Foley, like say she's she's a very sweet human being, very approachable, very kind, as well as her boyfriend, the luckiest man in the world, uh, Frank the Clown. They're very down to earth, very nice people, just like Mick. But it's it's one of those things. It's like. There's no payoff to her, you know, taking that shot at Mick, except for the fact that Mick Foley, amongst the wrestling community, is one of the most beloved <laughs> stars. Like, like I, I've never, I've never heard too many people say anything bad about Mick Foley. Uh-huh. Let's say the closest, and the only person I've really heard anything say anything bad about Mick Foley was Ric Flair, and that's after, you know. 
that's after Foley did his book, you know, basically saying Flair wasn't a good booker. And then Ric Flair saying Foley's a glorified stuntman. And they had a beef for a while. Then they squashed the beef. But, but let's be honest. Mick Foley was right. He was right. <laughs> I mean, look, man, I give Ric Flair his credit, right? Great, great wrestler. But I've heard plenty of stories about him not trying to put people over. So, I mean, we it, it's the same thing with him and Hulk Hogan is that I, I'd say Rick is less um, less guilty of this than Hogan for sure. But they both were always looking out for numero uno. Numero uno. You know what I mean? I, I get that a lot of people are, are like, well, you know, you kind of have to in the rest of the business. But an important part of the wrestling business is understanding that you have to put other guys over too. Otherwise, at some point, your character is going to go stale, their character is going to go stale, and that's not good for business, period. True. Very true. Yeah, like I say, because if it wasn't for Ric Flair, a guy like Sting, he would have never ascended to the heights that he got to. Because Ric knew, okay, this guy's going to be money for us. And he was right. Sting went on to do a lot of really good things for for WCW. I mean, come on, we still look. (laughs) He gave him a real rival in WCW. He did. Oh yeah, because they say because we were past the days of Flair Steamboat. Mm -hmm. You know, they say Rick needed a new guy to work with, and he got it. I say outside of Sting in the early nineties. There's no one I really look at as a real rival to Ric Flair because no one else was set up in that position to really ascend to that level. Mm-hmm. And and like I say, what Britt Baker is doing is she's trying to make it so, hey, guess what? We know who's coming for that AEW women's title. It's Britt Baker. Like, I don't see Tay Conti defeating Hikaru Shida for that women's title, but I see Britt Baker doing it. Because Britt Baker, Britt Baker should have been the biggest babyface in the history in AEW's women's division, and she'll even say it that the reason why her as a babyface stopped wasn't working well was because Jim Ross kept messing it up by mentioning, "Well, she's an inspiration. She's a real life dentist, and she's a wrestler," and just kept like, like so, this like drilling it home and. And it's one of those things we hear it so much, it eventually gets to a point. Okay, well, we're just tired of hearing this. So you're not inspirational to us anymore. It's kind of annoying. Thanks, JR. And then people, because wrestling fans will turn on somebody in a heartbeat. So with AEW still in mind here, I know we're running a little short on time. So I want to make sure I can, can get this into you too. So, how do you feel about um, Red Velvet finally officially signing with? AEW. It's about time. Like she's she's been a, she's been there for for quite some time, and that's the thing that always like trips me out. You see these people perform on AEW Dark, and then they start getting matches on Dynamite. It's like, wait, you putting people on Dynamite that aren't on your you're putting people on your program that aren't on their contract. <laughs> like like there's a guy who I who I know like say and friend of a friend type I know that's been wrestling for them. He doesn't have a deal yet. But yet, Red Velvet was in a prominent storyline with your with one of your executive vice presidents, a mainstream name, and a debuting person that you know eventually that you're trying to make into a star. 
and she wasn't officially signed. So with, like you say, that made no sense. I no, I think it made perfect sense because I think that is part of how they are going to get more names to come and work with them, even if it is on a temporary basis. Because by treating her fairly and treating people fairly that are only coming in and working with them temporarily, right? It shows that they're in it for the best potential wrestling product. So what that now allows them to do is say, hey, listen, man, we understand you may have just got out of your deal with WWE or TNA, right? And so you don't necessarily want to sign yourself to a contract, but you're still trying to make sure you stay relevant in the business. We can offer you that. We got this program that you can work and you can still keep your freedom to go work these other places until you you know, make up your mind on what you want to do, right? So that allows them to give these wrestlers a freedom that they really have never experienced before. And it allows AEW to say, well, man, maybe that's the company. It allows AEW to be, excuse me, a positioned as the company is saying, maybe that's the company I really want to work for because they're going to still allow me to be me and to still grow my brand and take and, and, and take opportunities that could really build me up and not hold me back from them. So I, I personally believe it was an excellent business decision by them, and it is working in their favor exactly how they plan to. Well, I have to agree to disagree because I'm sorry. My, my philosophy is if you're going to put somebody in a prominent spot, have them in a contract because guess what? But you know what could have happened? You're still taking the old but, school but, mentality. You're still but, taking but, that old school mentality, and we oh, are oh. in a new day. You need to okay. accept that let me, shit. Let me ask you this. What would have happened if Red Velvet would have done that match with Jade and Shaq, and then WWE would have thrown a bunch of money at her, and she would have dipped? She would have been on a, on a national TV product uh, without a contract, and then she would have came over – done and some work for so WWE. How does, and so how exactly does that hurt AEW, though? Because they already got what they needed, right? They got the program yeah. work. It's not like the program didn't get work. Program yeah, still but, got they, work. So, but it was done off of their backs that she got to where she went. And wait, had they have they not taken the fame from a bunch of the WWE wrestlers to use in their advantage? Have they not done the same thing? I mean, everybody does that. So, that's w- all I'm saying. So, I'm just saying, I don't. You can't really knock them for doing what they're doing. You can't really knock them. Yeah, but they, but here's the thing: those WWE wrestlers coming in with full contracts. Say, I think the only former WWE talent I've seen go in there that wasn't something even remotely high profile was Matt Cardona, aka Zack Ryder. Uh, I just want to point out. That before he had a full contract at AEW. Um, no, Mark Matt Cardona does not have a contract with AEW. I just want to point out before, not him, before this person had a contract with AEW, a full contract, they were already performing from them. And that, sir, is the man that everybody commonly knows as Dean Ambrose or Johnny Moxley. He was performing with them, Terrell, before he had an official contract that locked him exclusively to their company. So you can't say it's it's not a good business decision when it is worked out for them with multiple wrestlers. You can't say that. That's not fair. But I don't want to get bogged down in that. I do want to touch on one last thing with you, though, for sure, because like I said, I know we're really short on time this week. Um, How do you feel about Peacock editing out some of the controversial content that is in um, the WWE library? Two very quick examples for you. 
WrestleMania six has been edited. So Piper's match and promo, which he has a half blackface paint that's been removed entirely from the event. So the event is now 12 minutes shorter. And also the backstage segment from uh, Survivor Series 05, in which Mr. McMahon says, what up my to Booker T? That's been edited out. So how do you feel about them going out and editing this out and uh, not leaving the product as I thought that he said that to was. Cena. Huh? I thought he said I thought he said said that to Cena. And Booker T just happened to be around. I I think it might have been. I think you might be right. I think the, the way that this so, so so here's time ladies and gentlemen so but anyways we'll see what happens down the road with the peacock app but for the show this week i am your host terrell campbell Mm -hmm. 
and make sure that you follow us on Inside the Cage on Instagram. That's Inside with two eyes. Uh, and you can also follow me at T Campbell underscore ITC. And you can also follow Jerome at what? At All right, and you can listen to us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. Make sure that you let your friends know. We'll be bringing you a show every week when we have time to. We try and release them on Fridays, but hey, life happens. Okay, deal with it. Let's say, but but much like love and life, we'll find a way. Anyways, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in and being locked inside the cage. Thank you.